Rosebud. Rosebud. I I haven't seen this movie. Citizen Kane, you mean? You haven't seen Citizen Kane? Oh, you know what? I'm glad you said that because my first guess was A Streetcar Named Desire. <laughs> and my second guess Rosebud! was Casa... What was your second guess? Casablanca. <laughs> Here's looking at Rosebud, kid. <laughs> They're uh, all the same movie. No, it's, it's Citizen Kane. Uh, it's considered by some the greatest film ever made. And uh, there's a character in this one of these episodes we're about to cover who's kind of a play on Citizen Kane. He's a rosebud. All that to say that we've got an episode for you, dear listeners, that is on the level of one of the greatest movies ever made. Wouldn't you agree, Evan? No. I, no, I wouldn't. It's very bad. Well, what we're going to do in this intro is we're going to tell you what we're recapping. I think week. I just did that. Aren't we good? Can we get into the episode now? You're just going to tell them that this is the Citizen Kane of Scooby-Doo television? As in Citizen Kane, I said Rosebud. There's a bit of mystery there as to who we are, what our podcast is about. We can just start right at the beginning now. Dive right into us as lonely little boys uh, growing up on the streets, dreaming of one day owning a newspaper empire. I haven't seen Citizen Kane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, But who, who are we? Who are you and I? Well, for one thing, you're Evan... You're Luke, and the two of us together, as a unit, we're Scooby-Dudes. We're the Scooby-Dudes. We're two best friends here to talk about our favorite meddling kids. And their dumb dog, too. And the particular Scooby series that we're going to cover this week uh, is actually uh, our first time covering. Uh, this is actually our first time covering the Scooby-Doo, the new Scooby-Doo mysteries? The new Scooby-Doo mysteries. And after, after the cut, we'll explain a little bit more about what that is. But we're doing two halves of this episode. Yes, it's. I mean, it's kind of a. It's a double Which episode, twenty say, minutes long, but uh, it has two eleven-minute, completely separate segments. So I will tell you about the first part of this episode. It's called Scooby's Peephole Pandemonium. Wait, I'm sorry. Say that again, Evan. I didn't quite. I don't know if I heard you Scoobies right. Scooby's Peephole Pandemonium. Mm, one more time, Evan. Can you say it clearly into the mic? Like, really get up on that mic. Scooby's Peephole. Pandemonium. Mm, that's going to be good for our secret Patreon, our black black market Patreon, our Silk the, Road our, Patreon. Our, um, our, our Patreon for the dark web. That, that's exactly what I was looking for, our <laughs> dark web Patreon. It caters to a, a very specific clientele. Um, so give us the, a premise of that, the first part of this episode, uh, the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries Season 1, Episode 2A. The gang is hired to interview the reclusive Norma Deathman, who lives with her monstrous servants. So we're going to cover that first, and then right after that, we're going to cover the second part of this same episode, and I'll give you a brief recap of it right now. The name of the second half is The Hand of Horror. While lost and trying to order a pizza, the gang meets two twin inventors working on a secret project that could change mankind. All this and more to come on the Scooby Dudes. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let's get right into it, Evan. Let's get right into it, Luke. Rosebud. Good callback. Theme song. <laughs> Two dudes talking about Scooby Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby Doos. 
welcome back. Like I promised in the intro, I just want to give a little bit more background on this show that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, this we haven't covered this yet. This is the one series that we have yet to cover on uh, the Scooby Dudes. I don't, I don't think it is. Oh, really? I think we still haven't done Laugh Olympics. Oh gosh, <laughs> this is one of the only series we've yet to cover on the Scooby Dudes. Um, it's it's complicated because technically we have recapped before the new Scooby and Scrappy Doo show, which is a show that has a format of two 10 to 11 minute episodes. And in some ways, this is a continuation of that series. In in all the ways. You except, mean literally except in, for in the title. Way, it's in, literally <laughs> a continuation. They just decided to, to repackage it. As um, the new Scooby Doo mysteries. Well, they're, they're making up an alternate history for this. They said fake news to the uh, to it being the same series, and they just rebranded. Do you remember earlier on in this podcast's history when we 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 got way more political? You know, I feel like we've never stopped doing that. Like every five episodes, we'll just start patting ourselves on the back hard for being somewhat progressive, as if as if we were choking on on something. Yeah. And I, I say somewhat progressive. We are quite aggressive, but on the podcast, we are somewhat progressive. <laughs> like we're, I almost want to say we're more concerned. Like we we take really common sense stances, um, and act really brave for it. I think I don't think we ever stop doing that. I do really like when we call ourselves brave. I like I like when we're fierce. Luke and I are brave. Uh, we're doing the new Scooby Doo mysteries. Mm-hmm. One thing that's notable is that they actually. They actually, I, I was going to say recorded or filmed, but they animated a brand new introduction for this show. Yeah. It's a pretty great intro. As soon as we started watching it, I realized that this is a hidden piece of nostalgia for me. I definitely watched this more than a few times when I was a kid. How about you? Do you did this uh, theme song ring any bells for you? I personally can't say that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I mean, how, how in-depth do you want to go into this intro? Because I have one comment that I need to make. I don't uh, know if you have more. My, my one comment initially is just that this theme song reminded me a lot of the Ghostbusters theme song and just that, the style of music and the snappiness of it, and it really kind of got me excited for the episode to come. That's, those are my big thoughts on the theme song. What was the note that you had to get out? So as far as visuals, there's a lot of requisite like, oh, there are monsters and Scooby and Shag- Shaggy are running away, uh, and there's Daphne and also Scrappy, who are the other two characters. Mm. Um, and I read on the Scooby-Doo Wikia, um, that the new Scooby-Doo, and I'm quoting this, the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries theme song is performed in the style of Michael Jackson. Well, it definitely, the monsters do the thriller move. They do the thriller dance. And yeah. then I listened to it and I was like, no, this doesn't sound like Michael Jackson. And then I thought about it more and listened to it more. And I can now say with confidence, this sounds like Michael Jackson if ja- Michael Jackson were bad. Not like, <laughs> not like, bad as he would say it but like not good really are you blasting the same song you did not dig it here's the thing here's what i find hilarious for well they when when this whoever runs the scooby-doo wikia Hmm. when they likened this theme song to michael jackson they were actually being very accurate because the tail end of the theme song and that parts throughout it's literally thriller like if you took the words thriller thriller night and replace them with Scooby Scooby Doo, 
that's the song, but the instrumentals are worse. Oh, I man, I have to take a different stance than you on this. And maybe I liked how bad the instrumentals were. Like that might have been a nostalgia factor for me, but it really rung true. It was a solid, pure, clear, clean note for me of real funky jazz. Real funky do So you really Scooby. you really like I really it. dug this intro. I I would encourage listeners before we Evan and I recap the episode for you, go look this episode up. Watch the intro and then stop, turn it off, and then go back to listening to the podcast episode because you don't need to watch these episodes. Can we reveal that now that these are not two that need to be watched in the Scooby canon? They're they're not great. They actually kind of suck. I said this before we even started recording. These episodes suck, and I'm hoping that we can have some fun uh, relaying With them. them to you, <laughs> listeners. That's. I think that might be the harshest you've ever been to an episode of Scooby-Doo that I can remember. This might be a new low that Scooby... Do you think this is the lowest that we've hit yet for Scooby-Doo, in your opinion? It might be the most candid I've ever been about how mm. low things You're are. You're not putting on any airs with this one. No, like, I, I definitely objectively think that both of these episodes, these two halves, are pretty bad. Wow. This isn't the worst date that you've ever been on, but you're not pretending it's good. You're texting um, during it now. I mean, listen listen to the premise, the premise of both of these episodes. One of them is, like, they're... Actually, do, do you want to just dive in? Like, do you want to just let's start? Just, let's just dive into part A, Scooby's peephole pandemonium, a.k.a. the the reason that we chose these episodes is that title on its own. So just to give context for our listeners who haven't heard us do the new Scooby and Scrappy Do show, um, the, the setup is that Scooby, Shaggy, Daphne, and Scrappy, they are masquerading, or they're pretending to be, reporters or journalists as a means of solving mysteries that was never clear like we can't we talked about this so much previously when we initially covered this series that they seem to be using that as a guise to get in and solve mysteries which is odd because people don't want to let in a reporter to stuff that's going wrong with their business but they might let in someone who's looking to solve the problem that's wrong with their business so you would call a detective and not a journalist basically yeah, basically, the guise that they're wearing is way more suspicious than what they really are. So it doesn't make sense. And in this this continuation, I think they half abandoned that. Because most of the other episodes I glanced at didn't have that element introduced. But this one does in part A. And it's contained within this episode. Like, the, their reporter role doesn't continue like this in, across any other episodes. So this very explicitly lays it out. In that we see... Mm-hmm. Um, the exterior of a very uh of, of a high rise mm-hmm. we go inside and this turns out to be peephole magazine um and they're being spoken to by their boss his name is orson kane and he has um he's essentially given them new roles they are now paparazzi yeah basically they they just got hired by this guy and and so they're newly reporters now it's almost like they they need this job for some reason they want this job what, what's your take on that? Because we, d- we never get an explanation. Why do you think they want this job? I don't think they want it. I think that they were just um, upgraded. Or I think they were just, like, mm. provided provided with this new role. They're promoted, oh, okay. I so guess. They've, they've been working at Peephole for a while. Correct. Yeah. Mm. I didn't pick that up, but I see what you're saying now. I, I think that's a possible interpretation. As I think we've done in covering this prior, they only pretend to be journalists and are not journalists. But in this episode, they seem to prioritize the journalism. They do for a while before a mystery is even introduced. Let, let's talk about the fact that they're that they're paparazzi. And when I say they're paparazzi, I mean that Orson Kane, their boss, 
uh, I've already used the word explicitly, but very plainly states um, their new job is to get the inside scoop on famous people. Yeah, and that's going to be most of this episode. It's it's a kind of crap. What, what were they promoted from that was worse than this? That this was what they I, were I think they were for. beat. I think they were like beat reporters. That sounds better than this, honestly, because this is paparazzi stuff. But like, don't you know, you know what? Being a paparazzi... First of all, it's cush. It's cushy. I think it involves um, you. You are someone's biggest fan, and you follow them until they love you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? That does sound like I. I was gonna disagree with that on principle, but that idea is just ingrained deep into my psyche. Like almost that exact phrase. It's. It just rings some sort of truth bell in my head that I kind of like start find myself nodding along to it almost as <laughs> to a rhythm. I think you're um, right. And, and as a as a counterpoint to that, I really wish that I had seen Jake Gyllenhaal's Nightcrawler, because then I could actually make insightful Ooh. commentary about paparazzi, the horrors of the paparazzi. Such a good uh, movie. It's incredible. Um, the way he bamfs around is also <laughs> so even better than X two, I have to say. Um, okay, um, so uh, basically, wait, 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 sorry, really quick, I have to say Orson Kane, a, a kind of neat play on Citizen Kane, as written and directed and starred in by Orson Welles. So that's the my intro justified. Ah, Rosebud. Mm, Rosebud. So, so their first assignment is that they are going to go. Um, check out this this form this former actress. Her name is Norma Deathman. Yes, Norma Deathman. He he shows them a Polaroid, and it's of this um, conventionally attractive woman, and next to her is a werewolf. Yeah, I would define her as a kind of Morticia Adams type. Super accurate, actually. Next to yeah, a, a very a little werewolf that we would have to assume is a person in a costume. At this stage, I don't think we assume it's a supernatural creature i mean i mean i think it's scooby who comments on the fact that it's a werewolf and it's kind of hand waved or or not really yeah. addressed at all it's foo food so norma retired from her last film she, she's a horror movie actress or a scream queen mm-hmm. as i think the common nomenclature is her last mm-hmm. film was in 1933 uh and and here's here's where things really change orson kane tells them her mansion is heavily guarded by her staff of monsters. Uh, he reveals that, he just says it flat outright. Scooby and Shaggy are spooked by that, but Daphne and Scrappy obviously are not, and they just want to go along with it. The thing that got me is that Orson Kane, as they're leaving, says, have fun, this birthday party will be a really <laughs> monstrous bash. And it's like, that innuendo doesn't work. You already laid out that there are monsters there. So they kind of try and play it for a like a big reveal once they get there but the question is what it's so what how bizarre it's bizarre and my question is is this a supernatural world is this a 13 ghosts type world that we're in here where there are real monsters or is that something that's unexpected and there's a little island of magic here because because i think the disconnect is that you're juxtaposing the fact that they've decided to be reporters mm. which is real world which is concrete yeah like you know it gives them a concrete reason to be investigating and to be looking for truth that wasn't called for before so it's like they're trying to make it more gritty and real with that and, and then and then you like i said you juxtapose that with oh there's this actress and she has a mansion and her staff are all monsters 
Yeah, she's got a Frankenstein for a butler, Franklin Stein. She's got a werewolf sidekick, which is neither beast nor man, neither equal <laughs> nor pet. Like a really deplorable position. And she's got Maid Mummy, who I kept expecting them to say Maid Marilyn for some reason. No, that makes sense. Uh, the Orson Orson Kane's plan basically is: if you want to get past the staff, you have to be a member of the staff. So, um, Norma is throwing this this big birthday party. That's going to be your means in. And so they show up at the front door as caterers. Uh, they're the and I quote the creepy caterers, which Norma takes a shining to. Norma, I will mention, has a veil. Yeah, we can't see Norma's face at all. We only see that she is apparently still Norma. And the cast of characters, as you mentioned, there is Franklin Stein. Um, there's there's Maid Mummy, who has been newly hired. Franklin Stein went out on a limb and hired her himself. So Franklin Stein is Frankenstein's monster in a little bit of a butler outfit. Yeah. Um, Maid Mummy is a mummy with uh, an apron and a blonde wig. And I, I would say a, a woman's physique, a traditionally female physique. There, yes, um, cur- curves in the expected places. In, in yeah, in, in the requisite places. I'd say perfunctory curves. Uh, and then, and then there's, um, there's the werewolf who I don't, when I watched this, I didn't hear the name. I looked it up on the wiki. Wolf Wolf? Wolf Wolf. I hope the wiki isn't just head faking us there. Like, you know how cartographers will put like a <laughs> fake city somewhere just so the map is like theirs so that it's kind of their trademark thing um like that's what the wiki is doing for its own content because woof woof i don't remember that said at any point do you remember christmas woof woof oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this did my older sister sarah do this do we need to take a minute and explain this or should we just breeze right past this I deep inside want to. cut you oh want my to? goodness what an incredible like almost objectively the highlight of my christmas vacation <laughs> a christmas full of so many laughs and we're playing this game uh dear lord uh is it d e e r yeah like, like the animal yeah like the antlered animal but basically my older sister just kept ending sentences by saying woof woof like i believe the card said like make animal sounds and but every she, time she said it, I would call her out. But then she got rid of that card, and she just kept doing it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think because she started getting a couple laughs for it, and then those just snowballed. I was done. Like, my, I got an incredible ab workout. <laughs> just the way she... <laughs> she kind of... She... I don't, I don't think I can include this in the podcast because this is just you and me. Like, this is purely, un- this is just for us. Okay. Woof, woof. <laughs> woof, woof. Woof, woof the werewolf looks, to me, a little bit like that wolf that is the antagonist to Droopy Dog. Yeah, I could see that. But he has, like, Mickey Mouse-esque shorts. I was about to say the shorts. Here's... Here's the question I have for you, Evan. If he had, how would it change things if he had a shirt but no shorts, rather than the reverse, which he has, which is shorts and no shirt? So if he was Winnie the Pooh, if he was Winnie the Pooh, it was exactly what I was gonna say. If he was Winnie the Pooh, it, I think or Donald Ducking it, make him look less like an animal. Yeah, yeah, because because they treat Wolf Wolf like a pet. Like um, Norma is standing like a human person, mm-hmm. and Wolf Wolf 
is sort of like reclined on the floor like a like a pet dog and honestly is much more wolf than man much more wolf that's what here's here's what i'm thinking i think having pants instead of the shirt makes it seem like a beast-like man rather than a slightly person-like pet so like i think the pants make it seem almost worse because it seems like it has transformed hulk-like from a human Mm, i guess the pants you know here's the the thing is pants Mm. for for men i guess or like male creatures um cover up cover up nakedness yeah yeah that's a good point so it makes it seem like there's nakedness to be covered up below the waist on him whereas the thing with donald ducking or winnie the pooing it is it's almost like a neutering move that makes it safe to... really? oh it's true and i think that's the difference between mickey and donald <laughs> is the uh, walt disney wanted people to know that mickey had something going on and donald had nothing underneath that feathery down he was just a ken doll down there <laughs> just a straight up eunuch Oh, mercy. Root okay. and stem. Oh my goodness. <laughs> was that a Game of Thrones reference? That was. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um Bob and Larry. They're Oh That's my gosh. Wait, was that Did you just coin that just now? I just coined that, that, is that right amazing. now. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Like it honestly almost sounds make any sense. like old timey British lingo. <laughs> yeah. you, you got your bo- your bobs and your Larrys. Oh, my bob and my Larrys are right there. <laughs> so she's nobbing my bob. Goodness gracious! So, so the Scooby Gang is entering as creepy caterers. Um, what they've done is they've taken their camera and they've placed it inside their cart to hide it because they can't walk in with it around their neck. Um, but very quickly, Norma has everyone put to different tasks, and so they kind of have to leave the cart where, I'll go ahead and say, Woof Woof goes ahead and slips in. Uh, Scooby and Shaggy head over to the kitchen. Daphne and Scrappy have to start setting the table. So so Daphne and Scrappy are just talking about the fact that their camera's in the cart and, like, patting themselves on the back <laughs> for it. And what? And, and It's true. I think, understandably, I think they just take Woof Woof to be an animal. Yeah, I think that makes sense that they would. Like, they just put pants on this animal. Maybe they're hopeful for that. Because Wolf Wolf is right there. Yeah, he it's overhears that. It's a thing throughout this episode that we don't know how weird it is that there's these monsters or these apparently supernatural going-ons. Uh, for instance, when Scooby and Shaggy, I'll just say when they're in the kitchen and they're cooking something in the oven that they apparently overcook, it turns into a goop-like monster. It's what happens in Jumpstart Grade 2 when you put in the wrong... This is the second. This is our second. This is our consecutive episode wow. where we've brought up like educational games from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you put in the wrong amount, it was to learn fractions. Oh man! And if you put the wrong amount of ingredients into the oven, a goop monster would come out, and it's literally that. Sometimes I just know a reference is going to net us like a ton more interest in listeners, and that's one of them that I feel like is just going to connect with so many more people. We started Scooby Doo. And then we broadened it with Jumpstart Grade Can this two. just be a Jumpstart podcast? <laughs> have we have we jumped the shark to Jumpstart? We've jumped the start. We've jumped the start. Yeah. It, well, all of I think you're exactly right in that all of these really bizarre, uh, supernatural things occur, and the gang is frightened by them, but still takes them in stride. 
Yeah, like, Daphne normalizing it is what's weird. Because she is kind of the voice of reason here. But she isn't really... She doesn't have the rational streak that Velma always had. But she is minimizing the weird stuff that's happening. So I, I do want to mention... It, it struck me as a little bit weird that Scooby and Shaggy were being tasked to cook things. Which which is to say that, like, you can hire a catering company who, who cooks things in your home. But typically it's more like they have the food and they're just warming it up in the oven. Yeah, you'd assume that much. But they're given ingredients when they get there, Scooby and Shaggy are. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's not like they have no food with them whatsoever. Franklin Stein is just like, we've imported these foreign ingredients. You better use them before they fly home. And it's like, because they're caged like little bats or royal, like gnome creatures, just yeah. uh, other little mythical supernatural entities that, again, add to the weirdness of the episode in a 13 ghosty kind of way. But it's more vague what the baseline reality of this is so as you mentioned earlier daphne and scrappy are setting the table um alongside made mummy and made mummy sets the table so poorly okay it looked like it looked like the the cutlery was being arranged in was being arranged in such a way as to create a hex or like a spell <laughs> almost like i was gonna say like reading reading the bones cast bones or the like, like or there's sticks. no logical method to her madness there's none but i want to say it's a mummy so what do i expect like it's got shriveled disintegrated eyeballs and like it's wrapped it can't even see and it's lumbering around but daphne and scrappy are like hey that mummy is doing a crappy job setting the table <laughs> what's up with and this? daphne's sort of like fixing her mess Fixing yeah, the, she's the mummy's fixing mess. after it. But the fact that they're like, oh yeah, there is a long undead pharaoh here, that's normal. But the fact that it's doing a bad job with the cutlery, that's the weird thing here. And it's not played as a joke. Like, that's weird to me. But I kind of have to bring that myself to the table. Yeah, you honestly, I feel like, and, and look, these episodes are also not very funny uh, for our listeners. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, yeah. I think it's worth noting that they could have rationalized it with a joke. Scrappy could have been like, well, you know, if I had bandages covering my eyes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's so easy to do that, but it's it's seeding in a long game that I did I did like. What happens after that is that Wolf Wolf finds the camera in the catering cart, if I can jump ahead, mm-hmm. um, and a chase scene ensues. It, it basically turns out that they're, the disguise, the ruse that they've put on, is exposed. So both Daphne and Scrappy, as well as Scooby and Shaggy, all have to make a run for it. Norma, I think, is used to people coming after her for her picture, even now, apparently. Because as soon as the flash on the camera goes off, she's wary of them. Um, so we have a caterer chase scene. We can tick that off of our trope list as the gang runs into the Chamber of Horrors. It, there's there's a door. It says Chamber of Horrors above it. To the left, there's an arrow that says Basement, which is to communicate to us as viewers that A, it's the Chamber of Horrors, and B, it is on the floor below. It turns out that the Chamber of Horrors is filled with mementos from Norma's old movies. Um, and so she's like, ooh, we can sort of use these mementos on these intruders. Yeah, pretty sinister. Norma hasn't seemed evil up to this point, I wouldn't say. They go down, and the gang is literally hiding in plain sight. But it's almost like they've set themselves up like, like, oh man, there's all these torture devices in here. Let's step into these torture devices as if preparing ourselves for Norma to come down and use them on us. But in their minds, they're hiding. If this were a a wax museum, this would make sense. 
it, that would but be such an they're easy, literally right there an easy prop route to go even just to have like some clothing uh some costume racks along the walls and there are a couple of suits of armors that scooby and shaggy jump into but like i think Scrappy's in the stocks i think daphne's in the stocks daphne's in the stocks i almost said like scrappy was in a guillotine but i think that's wishful thinking that's just me bringing my own hope to the table Does he, doesn't he have a little can you check this doesn't he have like a little executioner mask on his puppy he does. i don't have to check that he does you're right <laughs> which is it's kind of it's kind of adorable because his it's, head is so large yeah that, that's good use of scrappy here's what ultimate ultimately the gang has found out because the mummy maid dusts the suits of armor that scooby and shaggy are in and scooby sneezes shaggy tries to save scooby with the finger under the nose thing and i gotta ask is that does that help people Evan? has that ever wor- worked That's, for anyone anywhere I, I think as a kid i tried doing that to stop myself from sneezing <laughs> And that was on the level of putting Johnson's No Tears shampoo in your eyes in terms of the lie that that idea is. And that happens not only in this episode, but in the second half of this episode. There's a moment where somebody tries to stop a sneeze with the finger under the nose. Uh, they run They run from the Chamber of Horrors. They manage to get out of there, and they run into uh, the game room. And again, Norma is thrilled to be uh, cornering them in the game room. And here we have a scene that is, again extremely reminiscent of 13 ghosts isn't it i would say so um for our listeners who don't know i'm not gonna do the whole oh what is that i'm just gonna tell you directly the scooby dupe is when typically scooby and shaggy they create a scenario in which the social pressures are so great that the monster the ghost the ghoul they're forced to comply yep and in this case the whole gang joins in and the the dupe that they recreate from 13 ghosts is a game show dupe where within this room they've set up a whole elaborate game show with lights and cameras and everything and they're putting it on and the contestants are the people chasing them so it's 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 a plan of family feud it's family ghoul which i will say is a bad rhyme that's also a (laughs) reminiscent of 13 ghosts and again just like 13 ghosts one of the villains says, this is a real show, and it's my favorite show. <laughs> I never miss it. And you're like, whoa, this is a real... And are these the real hosts of it? Do Scooby and Shaggy really do this? Such is the strength of the dupe <laughs> that that the, the, person, the persons who the dupe is being enacted upon blurt that out. As if, as if to say, oh, this is... This is exponentially more exciting for me as someone who is a, an existing fan yeah and i like that they d- he validates it immediately almost like verifies it so no, yeah this is real what is a little disappointing to me it's family feud and what's a little bit mm. disappointing to me is that shaggy is um pretending to be the old timey the original family feud host and not steve harvey steve harvey steve harvey wasn't on family feud at this point i don't think was he this is no steve harvey is like much more recent way more recent i thought yeah i mean that would be great if okay you know what they do family feud today how do they do steve harvey who do they do, do they still keep shaggy doing it yeah i think shaggy has to wear like a double-breasted suit do you think he does a mustache? He has a mustache, and I think he what he does is he asks very questions that have obvious sexual answers, <laughs> and then and then when the ghosts then, like, give, give those answers, them... he he looks agog at the camera, agog, wide eyed. He just like dro- almost drops the mic, just like arm hangs limp at his side as he like walks away as if shell shocked from the answer. 
He's having Vietnam flashbacks. That's what Steve Harvey looks like. <laughs> he looks like the cupcake dog after every answer. I did not link to that last <laughs> time we we brought that up. Oh. Um. So Shaggy's the host. There are two families. There's the um. There's a Snoopy reporter family, which I think paints them in a bad light. I thought they said Scooby Reporter family. Oh, you know what? That might have been like a Freudian slip of my fingers. I think that might have been. Or, you know, it might have sounded like Snoopy. I didn't hear it very clearly first. But even if it was, it's not as mean as what Shaggy calls the opposing team. He calls them the disgusting Deathman family. So mean. Why be mean? Like, you want them to buy into this scenario. Just be nice. It costs like, nothing. I think it's like hypnotism. You know, like you pl- you play into being hypnotized as long as it's it's good for you, and as yeah. soon as it becomes bad, you snap out of it. That's how hypnotism works. Why would they works. buy into an unappealing fantasy? I like that it's really like Family Feud. In that Shaggy's like, all right, uh, name the perfect breakfast, and goes over to the disgusting Deathman family side, and Norma says, uh, cream of spider soup. Eh, wrong answer. And then you have. Up on, up on the board. It's not yeah, there. Nobody nobody guessed that. Uh, question goes over to the Scooby family. Scoob answers, oh, Reveroni Rizza and enchiladas with ice cream. And it's all up on the board. And let me tell you, Scoob, that's not how Family Feud works. You can't yeah, give three it, answers. Three different answers. But every word of that answer, pepperoni, pizza, and the word and, enchiladas, and with, and ice, and cream are all up on the board. Again, like, needlessly, they, they they made the Deathman family lose that round, and Norma says, hey, I think something's going on here, as if the thing that tips her off is the fact that her question, her answer was wrong. All you had to do is give her the fake win that meant nothing, and you could have kept it going. I want to say that it, it is kind of a dead giveaway. If it's family ghoul, and this is like a horror-themed TV show... Then cream of spider spider soup. No, you know what? I'm sorry, Norma. Soup is not a breakfast food. Yeah. Cream of spider porridge. Spider porridge? Yeah. Spider porridge, yes. Soup. Nobody eats soup for breakfast. And, like, listeners who eat soup for breakfast, come at me. But, again, it's whatever their gag was, it doesn't work. Norma calls them out. They run out of there. They go from the game room to the bedroom. This is just, like, a house hunter's tour of Norma's mansion. And, And here's what I love. And, and this did not occur to me when I first watched it. Norma is once again delighted and beside herself <laughs> that they've trapped the she, gang in a room. You know what? She just is very proud of her home and she wants to give a tour. That's what I'm taking away just this moment. This is, this is MTV Cribs. <laughs> um, Scooby-Doo style. That's beautiful. Um, so they go into the bedroom. Daphne notices that a hidden safe behind a portrait has been cracked and something has been stolen from Norma. It's emptied. Yep. Yeah. Uh, everyone goes and hides because Norma's right outside. Scooby and Shaggy into the closet. Daphne and Scrappy under the bed. Uh, and then we have the uh, eyeballs in the dark trope. It's a, So the eyeballs in the dark trope, which we've never brought up on this podcast. No, this is the first time somehow. Um, it is It is completely dark. And the only body parts that you can see of the people hiding in the dark are their eyes. But they somehow can see the uh, see each other's <laughs> eyes, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I gotta say, now that I'm thinking about it, I'd love to see this attempted live action, where someone's eyes are just glowing white so and bright. That would be so scary. Terrifying, right? That'd be so right? frightening. That'd be amazing. <laughs> but it, 
in in cartoons i think it's pretty reliably funny and you know what it saves the animators a little bit of work if not ink um and so we have that gag in the closet invariably there's one extra pair of eyes than there should be so the the closet opens up and the third person who's in the closet was made mummy who had peeled off from the group a little bit earlier but I guess Norma hadn't noticed because she was just so enthralled with the idea of the gang being in these different rooms of her home. So Daphne very quickly goes over to Maid Mummy and unmasks her. Yeah, it's kind of like Maid Mummy and Scooby and Shaggy tumble out, and then Norma thinks Scooby and Shaggy are caught, but Velma's like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, Maid Mummy's caught. And then Velma, excuse me, Daphne reaches into the pile of, like, Scooby, Shaggy, and the mummy and pulls out jewels. And she could have, that could have very easily been sleight of hand, I have to say. Norma believes her altogether too, too readily. You think that Daphne planted the jewels? On the mummy. I think she you. had the jewels the whole time. Maybe this is a, uh, a case for the Scooby Innocence Project. Oh, the Scooby Justice Project? Scooby Justice Project, Which excuse I think, me. I think is a podcast, but might just be a Twitter page. I can't remember. Just to shout out a bro. Whatever the case. They're like, okay, Made Mummy stole these jewels. And, and... It never occurs to them that maybe, because this is a world where monsters exist, hmm. this is just a mummy who wants jewels. Yes. Who's masquerading as a supernatural mummy as a cover to steal some jewels? And as it turns out, it's Orson Kane, the publisher, the man himself. So Orson Kane's uh, scheme was he hired them to distract uh, Norma and Co. while he stole the jewels. Daphne says, first of all, you're bad at setting tables. Um, like, real bad. Like, so bad. Like, worse than a long undead pharaoh should be. Like, royalty that never had to do anything for itself that has then decomposed. And secondly, Daphne noticed that the the, the wrappings, not bandages, because, I mean, the, the wrappings hmm. of the mummy started to come a little bit loose uh, around the feet, and she saw that this made mummy was wearing men's shoes. And I will say to uh, the show's credit, the opening shot of this episode is him putting his shoes up on his desk in the publishing offices. So we do get a close-up shot of his shoes. It's such a conspicuous shot of his shoes, it's almost like they aren't really his feet because they cut to another shot. It's almost like they had two brooms with pant like within pant legs and shoes on them. (laughs) It's more wooden than even this animation should be. Um, but yeah, that, the shoes and the uh, the table setting skills, the poor maidsmanship, or what tipped off the gang. But I will give credit to this being a, a tight mystery mm-hmm. in that we know we know the uh, the culprit, we know the criminal, the perpetrator. We knew him ahead of time. Yeah, it's, he was seated in there. I mean, it's it's disappointing that there was only one person it possibly could have been, aside from just Maid Mummy uh, herself. But that being said, I, I mean, I, I like, I like that they that they, they seated in the shoes. I agree with you, and I think I, with an eleven minute episode, you can only ask so much, and I think that's about the limit of it. I think the most uh, wondrous part, the most surprising part of the episode came for me at the very end of it, um, right after Norma asks if the gang wants to stay for dinner. Okay, no, actually, hang on, real quick. Um, Norma asks if she can do anything for the gang as a reward. Scrappy says, yeah, can we see your face? Because we haven't seen it the whole episode. Just once, can we and please see your face? I, I feel like, um, I mean, I 100% expected this. To the point to the point that 
when Shaggy asks, what's the perfect breakfast? I thought Norma was going to say, just lots of blood. You assumed she was going to be a vampire from the start. An ageless vampire, which as she pulls back the veil, she turns out to be. Uh, so she, they're, they're, first of all, well, first of all, she reveals her face and they're like, wow, you're so young. You haven't aged a day. And then she, um, what's the opposite of retract? Just tracked? <laughs> she tracks her teeth. Um, yeah, she, she tracks her fangs. I don't know. Yeah, like um, she bears her fangs, I guess. Side and she feet. says, uh, oh, I'm a vampire and vampires never age. Also, it's her 300th birthday. Oh, she says she's a vampire. She wants to have everyone for dinner. Uh, of course, the gang all flee immediately. And uh, do you remember the line that ends the episode? I do. I did not write it down. Oh, buddy. Uh, as they're running away, after right after uh, Norma says, I'm 300 years old, I want to have you for dinner, Shaggy says, from now on, Daphne, Scoob and I aren't oh. ever interviewing anyone over the age of five. Right, Scoob? Right. I do remember that now. And it is troubling. So unnecessary. Like, anyone over the age of five... Just don't interview people who have supernatural, like, households, man. Yeah, you were and told also, that there were monsters at the house. Y- you would have no way of knowing how old Norma was by looking at her, so, like, putting, like, arbitrary age limits on doesn't do anything. Also, I, 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 we're nitpicking a lot, I realize that, but, like, buddy, you know that vampires can be under the age of five. Yeah, like, <laughs> that as well. And it's not a good look, Shaggy, being like, no, buddy. Oh, and that is... The last line of an episode titled Scooby's Peephole Pandemonium. And, okay, all right, you know what? I, th- I think I think we need to unpack the title. Let's just take a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay. It, it, the publication is Peephole. And it's a paparazzi publication. And paparazzi is, I mean, that's kind of a dirty job, as I think of it. By which I mean, like, you're, it's kind of, you're, you're looking for gritty, unpleasant, people's unpleasant side, like raunchy content magazine right yeah no i i agree with you so that's a little bit adult for this kind of episode on its own and then calling it peephole makes it sound even dirtier makes it sound illicit sordid yeah like peeping tom would already be at the limit of what should be allowed to get past anyone i think peephole already beyond that and like that being said i feel like they don't play up those elements enough i actually think it'd be very cool Hmm. Um, and, and I guess a more modern take on this episode, if they were actively paparazzi and they're trying to take photos of Norma with, without her knowing, and they sort of catch that, like, maybe maybe her reflection doesn't show up in a mirror. You know what? I'm glad. They're like, oh. Yeah. That would have been a great mystery. Instead, that's just a gag at the very end. And uh... and that also could have been a way that they find out that Maid Mummy isn't really a mummy. You know, because they're taking all of these snapshots, and that's how they, they, they ca- you know, they take a snapshot of, like, the shoe or something. Like, they drop the camera. They could have so easily done that, I, I think, just had, like, Scrappy or Daphne try to take some pictures, but they never actually snap the camera except to get away from Woof Woof at one point. Uh, so... What could have been the most interesting part of the episode just doesn't happen, just doesn't materialize. And what would have justified the creepy paparazzi setup? That's just me trying to justify the title. Hmm. And I think it would be a lot more effective. I don't think the title is a good one, but I think that that take would have been really interesting and fun. I think that has a worse title but was a better episode than the second half, part B, Hand of Horror, which is a simple, fair title you can use that's accurate 
but was one of the worst halves of an episode I've ever seen. So I will. We're gonna run through this a lot more quickly because our the first half was more interesting. We wanted to talk about it more. The second is pretty bad, like worse. I want to start by saying when I hear the episode title "The Hand of Horror," there are two fun directions. Mm. One of them is uh, a cousin it like monster. Don't you mean thing? Sorry, yeah, cousin it is like Harry, uh, the thi- thing. Yeah. Uh, from the Adams family, who's just a disembodied hand. The other is that movie that came about in like the aughts. It's called like Idle Hands. Oh, that's right. And I also think that would have been a fun take. I think that's a good take. The the reference I had that I I also thought of thing from Adams Family. Um, My Hero Academia has a character who is just like very. If, if I say that and you've gotten to that part of the anime, this episode is very relevant and you'll understand why. But it's a terrible reference and I hate that I've made it. I might cut this part. No, I'm just going to say it again so you don't cut it. Luke watches My Hero Academia and he makes a reference to it. Okay, look, man. It's called Boku no Hero Academia. If you're going to make me come out and say it. And it's not... It's not cartoon it's art okay i'm just gonna get it i'm just gonna dive into this episode if that's cool so they're driving to louis pizza palace they want pizza there's a detour street close mm-hmm. sign that shaggy ignores he's the one driving they're all talking about what toppings they want on their pizza so um Sco- so scooby says Rarone. and shaggy's like sausage s- sausage uh and uh, scrappy's like uh hi uncle scoob onions and meatballs um and they keep saying like onions and meatballs sausage ramaroni and daphne there's like a moment where they're all saying toppings and daphne the camera hones in on her closes up on her face and she just (laughs) and you sort of see like her life pass before her eyes like all the events that transpired to bring her to this place I think she's just imagining where Fred and Velma are in that moment. <laughs> just like, should I have turned Fred down? How is, where where are he and Velma right now? Oh, it's her existence is miserable in this series. I have to say, I don't believe that was intended to be comedic effect, but it's hilarious. <laughs> Way after the fact, Shaggy then almost kills everyone by driving directly into a wall. Um, there's a whole, like, oh, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, kind of, like, with with Daphne saying we're lost and Shaggy saying we're not lost. You know, classic men-woman conflict. Uh, men don't ask for directions and drive off of the road and almost into walls. He was basically in an alley when they got there. But then they're also kind of in an open field right next to a stately estate. So it's another mansion. It's not a haunted mansion like the last one. Uh, and they get there just in time to see a little bit of what I initially thought was a domestic dispute. I thought so as well. We see a man storming out of this mansion in quite a huff. Ratfield he is his like name. He looks like a clean-shaven Bob Ross. A clean-shaven Bob Ross with three times the nose. Um, and his name is Ratfield. He is quitting his job at the Von Gizmo estate. Well, actually, no, he got fired. That's right. He's yeah, been he's he's been let go. He's been yeah downsized from his position at Von Gizmo Estate. He says to the gang, "They've all gone mad in there. You don't want any part of it." Uh, so he leaves. Um, at at this point, Shaggy is ecstatic because he's like, "Oh, that's where we are. We're at the Von Gizmo Estate. We don't need to go to Louis Pizza Palace. I can just order pizza here to this address, which is like and Louis can deliver pretty 
presumptuous of Shaggy. A little bit, considering they haven't met anyone at this address except someone who just got fired from here. Daphne wanted to get directions from this guy initially, but once Ratfield says that the Von Gizmos are like bad news, she's like, maybe we do want to stay here a minute. And it's unclear to me what her motivation is. If she's doing this as a reporter now, if she's still a reporter, or if this is just that native mystery-solving bug she's got. Whatever the case, Scooby and Shaggy are here to order pizza. So Shaggy goes back to the mystery machine. There is a car phone. He orders pizza. He explicitly says, no anchovies. Uh, Louis, I guess Louis himself is the one who keeps showing up. And he does bring them anchovies on their pizza. And did you get Scooby and Shaggy's reaction every time anchovies came up? Uh, Scooby it's and Shaggy... on par... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, you're saying it. Just say it. <laughs> It's a pup named Scooby-Doo whose drugs is anchovies in this series. Blech, anchovies. Yeah, anchovies. It's exactly the way they react to drugs mentioning in a pup named Scooby-Doo. Anchovies are to... Hold on, what's the show called again? The Scooby-Doo Mysteries? The new Scooby-Doo Mysteries. Anchovies are to the new Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo Mysteries, Mysteries as Scooby drugs and Shaggy, are... As drugs are to a pup named Scooby-Doo scooby and shaggy yes it that's it it happens twice in this episode and it happens twice in a pup named scooby-doo i wish i'd looked up which came first but it doesn't matter it's a chicken egg scenario at roughly around this point we find out that the the hand of horror uh it's not like because it's not a thing it's not like an idle hand situation it's not a my hero academia i don't know what that is Boku no hero Um, academia oh my god evan you don't respect my anime. What? Is this the voice of an anime fan? Oh, no. <laughs> this is the voice of a petulant teenager. I had this voice when I was in high school. And my you parents didn't respect Burgers? my Dragon Ball Z. You're a Bob's Burgers character. <laughs> Am I really? Yeah. You're one of Tina's classmates. I don't watch Bob's Burgers. It's like the animated version of Doonesbury to me. It's too dry. Oh my gosh. Okay, you're done. Um, it's. I'm done, yeah. People will recognize the monster of this episode if they've ever played Super Smash Brothers. Ah, I see what you're saying here. Or if they've ever seen a Hamburger Helper commercial. Or if uh, the mascot for Midas was slightly less golden. It's, it's um, so to go back to... To just elaborate on the Super Smash thing, it's the boss. It's Master Hand. It's it's a Mickey Mouse glove, but it floats. It's a, a sentient uh, floating flying glove, basically. And there's two things that happen. I hope we can cover just them together because they keep happening throughout this episode. The glove keeps mischievously messing with Scooby and Shaggy, and Louie keeps trying to deliver pizza, and these two keep interacting. I like that, actually. I actually think it's really funny. I think it's the most successful part of both of these episodes. And I have to say, the way that Louis reacts to it makes Louis seem so dumb, almost offensively dumb the way he's played. I think Louis has a disability. <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't want to say it. And with that, I guess I'm not going to be able to imitate him right now. <laughs> I was looking to do it. He's, okay, Pizza Louis is both a little bit thick and a little bit flamboyant like hey it's pizza louie <laughs> <laughs> like he talks kind of dumb but also with a little bit of my brother <laughs> it's like i don't know who what like i don't mind pizza louie's cool i think he's the most successful part of this episode <laughs> i like that pizza louie 
just wants to deliver pizza to these customers. Like he's so committed. He's so committed. And this this freaking mischievous glove, mis- this freaking mischievous glove just keeps nabbing the pizza from him and like swapping it out with a wooden shield or lassoing it out of his hands. Um, and I'll have more so, to say on that in a minute, uh, but please go ahead. Yeah, I just want to introduce the Von Gizmos. The Von Gizmos are not a couple. Well, they are a couple. The Von Gizmos, more specifically, are twins. They are older white men, bald, large beards, mustache. The, the beard and the mustache are not connected. Bright um, And they look to be, I guess, uh, scientists or inventors or something of the like. Mm-hmm. As soon as they see the gang, they tell them to get out. The hands basically just keep doing mischievous things. At one point, Scooby and Shaggy, uh, they're rolled up into a rug, and then a trap door opens up, and they're flung down oh, yeah. into it by one of the hands. It's a little much. Um, but what happens is they they crash open a box, and the box is full of remote controls. And it's at this point that they realize, Shaggy realizes, he can use the, these remote controls to control the hands. Okay, so... This is what you might think would be a major turning point in the episode where Shaggy and Scooby then start using the hands to their own ends, a.k.a. getting food using the hands. My biggest question for this episode is why do the hands behave the same before and after Scooby and Shaggy take control of them? Because the hands are doing mischief with the pizza long before Scooby and Shaggy show up to no end at all. One of the hands flies up the back of Shaggy's shirt and just starts like tickling and scratching his back for no reason. Yeah. And we'll find out who is controlling the hands other than Scooby and Shaggy soon enough, but uh, all that, we don't find out why. We we can only substitute in our own answers for what the motivation was for most of this episode. Uh, Which is just to elaborate on what you brought up. Pizza Louie walks in, a hand and here's the thing. The hand did not need to use a, a lasso because it's a hand. It could have just floated over and picked up the pizza. But it lassos yeah. the pizza box out of Louis's hand. Louis, it takes him longer than it should to realize he's no longer holding a pizza. And he's like, mighty weird. He's like, which is his <gasps> default, um, his default, I guess, response to these kooky happenings. I, I'd say he says that maybe halfway through the episode. And then for maybe the second half of the episode, we don't see him for until the very end. It keeps being taken away or replaced. Eventually, Shaggy and Scooby get the pizza with their own hand. Um, and then there's this really kind of frightening moment where they're about to dig into the pizza that the hand has brought them. I do want to pause really quickly because something gross happens. They have taken the pizza. They've sat down. They're going to enjoy it. Um, Shaggy says, oh, like, let's do this in style. He gets the hand to bring out a a candelabra. He gets the hand to put kerchiefs around his neck and Scooby's neck, or napkins. Uh, He then gets the hand to serve them pizza, and the hand grabs the pizza slices by the point and puts it on their plates. (laughs) That's the worst part of this episode. That's the part that makes the least sense. I can't identify what world we're living in right now. That's not a logical way to do that. You need to reach... To the, to, to the center of the pizza. Yeah, like, how would you get that up from the center? Well, it wouldn't break apart because that's not nearly as strong as the crust is as a holding piece. They're about to dig into these manhandled slices, no pun intended, um, and they hear, uh, I guess, like, scream, they hear terrifying noises coming from behind the wall. Yeah, behind one of those fake wall, obvious tri- uh, hidden doors. And what I like is that Shaggy tries to, uh, 
he tries to see what's going on so he controls the hand to knock on the wall. Like, he can't do that himself. Well, he controls the hand to knock on the wall, but then he decides to charge through himself. But Scooby then uses the hand to punch through the wall, and then Shaggy tumbles through. And I don't think we see anything that happens on the other side of it, do we? Uh, well, on the other side of it is one of the oh, Von Gizmo twins. Um, so at this point, Daphne and Scrappy go down to a lab. They see the two Von Gizmos. And it's, it's kind of fascinating because the two Von Gizmos are having a pretty uh, serious discussion, exchange of ideas. One of them apparently wants to use the hands for evil, which is uh, really raises the stakes a little bit. One, one of these twins is apparently evil. The other is good. We only have a minute for that dynamic to sink in. Um, and, and it's the kind of thing where the good Von Gizmo is kind of like, I thought we were both on the same page. We both wanted to use these hands for benevolent purposes. The mm. other Von Gizmo says, no, uh, let's do this to our own nefarious ends. To my, th- oh, I mean, our own ends. At this point, Scooby Shaggy and the other Von Gizmo knock down a wall. And so all there are three Von Gizmos, Scooby Shaggy, Daphne and Scrappy. And uh, the new Von Gizmo that just busted in uses a hand to try and attack one of the other Gizmos. Uh, The evil one uses a hand to attack back. The thing that was notable to me is that when these two hands tussle, it's like the writers just imagined two hands meeting together, and so they shook hands. (laughs) The the two hands, like, shaking was the struggle and the wrestle, and then they just kind of, like, fall down limp to the ground. There's so many... Honestly, I feel like it's such a dearth of imagination and creativity on the part of the writers when when these two hands could have engaged in a thumb war had like a like a slap battle they could have had like a rock paper scissors yeah they could have they could have pun- a slap battle and like punching uh poking each other's eyes out um you know like a three stooges style i kind of wanted it to be the sort of thing where the the index and the ring finger become oh. the uh the legs and then the thumb and the Sorry, the index and the middle become the legs, the thumb and the ring become the hands. And uh, then like Tom and Jerry. Yeah, they're like duking it out with these like little hand men. Truly a missed opportunity. And in the glove fight scene that ensues, none of these things are really met. In fact, really it just escalates to a swarm of hands. Uh, there's just, I don't know, like stuff happens. At one point, like, um, evil Von Gizmo traps everyone behind the table. Originally it was him okay. and... No, yeah, what's up? So, I, I wrote here that I might tell a story, which I don't often do, but, um, so all the hands pick up this table and then throw it and pin all the, the gang members, and it's the evil gizmo that's doing it, and maybe it's because of the No Hero Academia, like, it made me think of these dreams I used to have, where, you know, some people have dreams where you have superpowers, I would have dreams where I had a conspicuous absence of superpowers, like everyone around me had superpowers and i did are you serious this it's a dream i had occasionally like in high school and then a little bit in college and i once had a dream where like it was almost like a video game like we were my team is fighting this other team way across the way on this like big open area and my team is like shooting fireballs and they're shooting ice and everybody has powers and i'm trying and concentrating trying to use my powers but i don't know what they are and so it's almost just like straining and flexing muscles that i don't know what they are and then I see, like, this chair fly beside me and hit the other team. And I'm like, oh, I can control wood and, like, furniture <laughs> and stuff. And I, like, see this table, like, with a great effort go flying. And then I realize that I'm just picking up this furniture and throwing it. <laughs> 
and it's the most I... bummer moment I've ever dreamt in my life. Okay, I remember you telling me the story in high school. Yeah, I remember <laughs> telling you it before. And this made me think of it so much, these chairs grabbing this furniture and pinning the gang. <laughs> oh. And oh, I, I know it's not super relevant, but that just came, came back to me in a flood, and I wanted to share that. I remember I had a dream where I had a green lantern ring. Oh, yeah? And I was like, sick, a green lantern ring. And then I, you need to say the oath to use it, and I couldn't remember the oath. <laughs> and I was, like, super frustrating. And then when I could remember the oath, I gave myself wings, and I, like, they wouldn't, like, I couldn't, I still couldn't fly. They didn't work. Because proportionately, bummer. they would have to be way too big. Yeah. Yeah. The way that the evil Vaughn uh, Gizmo is beaten is pretty nefarious. Scrappy walks up to him and takes the remote. Initially, it's just Shaggy and evil Von Gizmo going back and forth, controlling hands. Eventually, Shaggy's one of the people behind the table, at which point Scrappy, who's, I guess, too small to be pinned, he's the one who takes the controller and apprehends evil Von Gizmo. Uh, evil Von Gizmo is unmasked, and as in the previous episode, it's the only person it could have been. Uh, it's Ratfield, their fired assistant. Hooray for Scrappy, everyone cheers. Pizza Louie then shows up, finally, with pizza, and they do something very kind, which is they get all of the hands to clap for Pizza Louie, for his perseverance. Pizza Louie is treated as the Scooby-Doo of this episode, <laughs> in that he gets the final line, the, the camera kind of lingers on him at the very end, and he's treated as the... Uh, the heart and which the he kind of is for this episode for this half of the episode specifically for this episode he is and he shows up again he hasn't shown up since the middle of the episode it's been like five full minutes since his last line but when he shows up he immediately says i repeat mighty weird Can you please do the pizza louis voice to end, to, to finish this out i repeat mighty weird <laughs> and uh, again he he shows up to like have a follow-up sentence way long after if, it, if it's hard to remember that he said mighty weird before to you listeners it was about as long in the episode and that is both halves that is it that is people panemo scooby's people of pandemonium that is the hand of horror my question to you is do we want to come up with scooby dupes for the hand of horror yeah let's do let's do scooby dupes and cap the episode with that do you know what kind of scooby dupe you would do for this episode yeah 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 yeah, of course I do. Uh, and, and I feel like, honestly, we do this a lot with Scooby-Doops, where we make it sort of like we place the monster in a romantic situation. So these are like, uh, me, like, we, like we said, Mickey Mouse gloves or like white butler gloves. So there's, they're a white butler glove, and then they see like a fancy lady glove. You know, the ones that go up to like the mid Ooh, bicep? Ooh, like an Audrey Hepburn glove. Exactly. But mm. then there's like a leather biker glove uh, sweeps <laughs> like a her away. Like glove with like knuckle, uh, knuckle studs. Mm-hmm. And which which devastates this poor uh, hand of horror. That's my Scooby Dupe. I love that. I think that's great. Uh, and this, what they my do one is my question is: Are the gloves Scooby and Shaggy dressed up as gloves? <laughs> um no i think what it is is it's, it's a little bit of practical theater in which mm. they they sort of create a black backdrop and then they wear yes. black sleeves and then they put on the gloves so it looks like they're floating mm. i love it 
So at the end of a streetcar named Desire, he the, because again I've not seen I've not seen Citizen Kane I've not seen Casablanca I've not seen uh, I've not seen a streetcar named Desire, and at the end of a streetcar named Desire, does one of the characters correct me if I'm wrong does he not scream to the heavens that he requires a beer, does that not happen? Not that I recall. Uh... Man, now you're forcing me to say I've not seen Streetcar Named Desire either. <laughs> I just know a lot of little things about it. Do you want to fact check? Uh, fact check me. You serious, man? Is that the joke? <laughs> I started Googling it. Oh, gosh. Oh. Nicely done. I can only give credit where it's due. Artois! And also... I, I love that as a sketch. It's like, Stella! Artois! Um... To, to, for the benefit of our listeners, I legitimately have not seen any of those movies. It's a true fact. I I thought you were doing a like really specific line deep cut from that. <laughs> nice. That was the episode. That, this is the outro. Uh, yeah, welcome to the outro portion. We told a joke. Now we're going to tell you all the places that you can find us if you want more additional Scooby Dudes content. And you do want more additional Scooby Dudes content. So go to these places. Uh, go to Facebook, and it's just facebook.com slash scooby-dudes. And every weekday, I schedule stuff, and sometimes on the weekends. Yeah. Go to Twitter. Uh, you'll find just as much content, and maybe even a little bit more, maybe even a little bit racier stuff. Uh, on our Twitter account at TheScooby-Dudes. Follow us at TheScooby-Dudes. Please, if you like our podcast at all, you'd be doing yourself a great disservice mm -hmm. if you didn't visit our website, which is scooby-dudes.com. If you go there... Uh, I've put in additional show notes to explain some of the references that uh, you might not have gotten right off the bat. Uh, you'll find title cards, you'll find corrections, you'll find funny screenshots and captions. It's a great portal to follow up on all of your Scooby Dudes content needs. And you'll also find that you can uh, email us at scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. Our title card artist for this week, um, yes. uh, Napasorn. You can visit their Tumblr. It's pxnicmoon.tumblr.com. So please check out their stuff. Uh, they're great. I've really enjoyed working with them. Incredible work. Top-notch title cards. Uh, furthermore, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a five-star review on iTunes. A couple of people have done this recently, and it's amazing. Because uh, whatever they write, Evan will read it on the podcast. So write that five-star review. Put those words in Evan's mouth so that he can put them in all of our ears. So what I've been doing re as of late is I've been calling from our Canadian reviews. Uh, because as I've mentioned, we have enough American mm. reviews to have like a an average. So our average rating for the U.S. is five stars because all of our reviews are five stars. For Canada, we still don't quite have enough. And I think we've said before, we really appreciate um, any Canadian listeners reviewing us five stars. We'll also accept American listeners visiting Canada, uh, whose internet is routed through Canada, or who are willing to get a one-way trip to Canada. Uh, and as I have said, please don't do that. Or don't do most of that. I, I do think that 
taking a plane or whatever I, I i don't hate that idea visit me yeah i evan has made his couch available to anyone who's visiting canada for the exclusive purposes or primary purposes of writing an itunes review if you need a place to crash while you're visiting canada for that review evan will put you up i do want to say sorry i needed to bring it up we do have a review oh oh sorry it's so long Oh my oh, gosh. Oh man. How long is it? Isn't there a limit? Apparently not. Okay. <laughs> um I are are you ready for this cuz I am not sure I am and I'm going to butcher this. We All right, so go for it, man. I want to express my deepest gratitude to Apple user Apple Chups who actually left us a five-star review on Valentine's Day, which was oh. just last week. Nice. The uh the title of the review is 5 star from Quebec. Uh, and star is like an asterisk. So five star from Quebec. Are you ready for this? Is it, are we sure it's not a five letter swear word? Like five asterisks from Quebec? Oh my goodness. I, so, he, okay. I just want to tell, <laughs> let all of our listeners know, in seventh and eighth grade, I took French because I went to school here in Ontario. And then when I was in college, I took two consecutive semesters of French, which is to say that I speak no French whatsoever. <laughs> like my vo- my vocab is like so so but only because all of our products by law have to have english and french uh, on them so evan are you saying that just for this review you need me to re- read it you're definitely not going to read it you're going to do much worse than me <laughs> yeah. um yeah i would so are, are, are you ready for this reading i'm ready french me bro oh my gosh okay um <clears throat> uh french to follow slash francais à suivre uh, that sounds very, okay, I'm going to keep reading. Um, to say that Scooby Dudes is the best podcast of the century would be an understatement. Listening to Scooby Dudes is not only a life-changing, transformative experience, but this podcast calls to the soul in indescribable ways in terms of nuanced humor, ticklish undertones, and storytelling tension. It is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Producers of some of the most compelling content in the digital age, Evan and Luke, Manifest the very essence of what happens when beauty and brains amalgamate into one superb, award-winning, I assume, courageous display of ingenuity and creativity. Scooby Dudes is an absolute must in terms of riveting content, adventures into the social phenomenon of sarcastic banter, and delicious artwork. This dynamic duo has the bar... I'm just going to paraphrase. Has raised the bar astoundingly so. And then it's the same thing in French, which I have to read. Um, Français dire que Scooby-Dude est le meilleur podcast du siècle, c'est un euphemisme. Écouter Scooby-Dudes n'est pas seulement une expérience transformatrice qui change la vie, mais, mais ce podcast interpelle l'âme de manière indescriptible en termes d'humour nuancé. Des nuances chatouilles et des tensions relatives, c'est différent de tout ce que j'ai jamais connu approuvant. Les producteurs de certains de contenus les plus fascinants de l'ère numérique, Evan et Luke, manifestant euh, l'essence même de ce qui se passe lorsque la bouteille et le cerveau se fondent, est une sur- superbe et primée. Je suppose, courageux déploiement de ingénuosité et de créativité, Scooby-Dude est 
est un mot absolu en termes de contenu fascinant d'aventure dans le phénomène, phénomène social de plaisanteries sarcastiques et de délicieuses illustrations. Ces duo dynamiques a fait monter la barre étonnamment. There you go. Uh, so to Apple Chops, uh, merci beaucoup. I, oh my goodness. Hey listeners, Luke joining you here. Normally that sound would mean that the episode is over in earnest, but the episode is not quite over just yet. No, I'm uh, just diving in here to give you a bit of an explanation. I had some audio issues on my side of things this last episode. You might have noticed some of the quality issues just on my piece of the audio, um, but Evan's audio was fine all the way through. And where my audio cut out pretty much immediately right after Evan finished that review, his continued for a few more minutes to the end of the episode. Uh, we talked about redoing the whole episode. That's too much work. We talked about redoing just the outro, but I really like uh, what we did up to this point, and I liked Evan's audio that follows. So we decided to keep that, and what you're about to listen to is my best take on what I probably said in between the things that Evan actually said. So it's a bit of an experiment. Uh, this is a longer explanation than I'm sure you, our clever listeners, needed. Uh, Evan's not here to roast me for how long I'm taking, so I'll just say I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for sticking with us to the very end. And here is the very, very end. So I think right after Evan did the review, I, I kind of went into you're, the reviewer a little bit for taking so long and for doing the exact same review twice the second time you, Are you French. slamming them for leaving that review? And, and after Evan asked, I believe I clarified that yes, I was slamming this person for leaving that review. I, I should probably stop doing that. Probably don't need to keep roasting people who donate to us and review us and do nice things to us. For some reason, now that Evan's not here, I'm actually aware of that. I I don't like that whoever left this set the precedent that I will read reviews in other languages. Yeah, Evan, I, I, I think, again, you should have had me read that review in French so as to uh, discourage people from doing this in the you future. You have to leave it in. I... I think I must have suggested that I was going to cut the French version. Ah, but then I think I'm about to suggest that we play the French version over the English I, version. I, what do you think, Evan? Is that what I said? I'm right this moment actually trying to figure out if I can throw it into uh, Google Translate. Oh, I think Evan does try and put it into Google Translate. Let's see if that works. And I'm actually wondering if they threw it into Google Translate because I legitimately, like, my French is not good. It's not very good, Evan, but you gave it a good try. It's taken you a while to get into Google Translate. I must have been saying some interesting stuff here to cover for you. Listeners, it was probably very good. It actually looks like it's a pretty... It's it's actually... Um, and actually, the way it's formatted when I look it up on oh, the browser... Mm -hmm. uh, it, well, we'll spit it out, Evan. Come on. What is it? I don't know. I, I don't know <laughs> if they just use Google Translate or not, because I'm not, I'm not a fluent enough speaker wow, we to determine, but... From the looks of it, it says the same thing, just the first in English and the second time in French. We spent a long time on Google Translate, didn't we here, buddy? Oh, boy. What do you think, listeners? How did Google Translate play for you? Write us at scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. I guess we didn't mention that. Oh, by the way, we also didn't mention that we love our patrons, our dear patrons who donate every month uh, to us. Hold on, let me... I'm going to drop that uh, donor scream um, right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There it is. 
we are the essence, and I'm quoting this, the essence of what happens when beauty and brains amalgamate into one superb award-winning, uh, in brackets, I assume, courageous display of ingenuity and creativity. Okay, now I remember for that part, I took issue with the, uh, I, I had a question on the fact that they said a perfect amalgamation of beauty and brains. Evan, which of us is the beauty and which of us is the brain? Do you think you're the... <laughs> Ooh, we like that one. <laughs> or or here's a, here's a question. Is it, uh, are we both bringing beauty it's and brains to the table? It's the perfect amalgamation. 90-90 on one side, 10-10 on the other. <laughs> I think, embarrassingly, I offered that the best amalgamation the is 90-90 and 90 from Evan and 10-10 and 10 for me. Goodness gracious, dude. I have... No idea who could have left this review. It's so hyperbolic. I, I, I agree with this even now that that review is so extremely, uh, so extreme in its praise. Uh, I don't know who, that, who left that either. Weird. Normally we solicit hard to get these reviews, so we kind of know when someone's left it. I, I, yeah, and, and again, I'll, I will read whatever you send us. If it's, look... If it's in Chinese or something, and I have to, like, break out Google Translate, I'm just going to read the English translation. That We should have done that the first time. Also, how do we get back onto Google Translate, buddy? Jeez, Google Translate. We have a lot of Google Translate shooters out there. This is like, uh, this is like Jumpstart, the kind of huge community really? there is out there. For tra- yeah, really, dude, there is a huge community out there for Google Translate. It's so much slower, though. How will you get that to sync up? Well, I, I think you get that community no, it's like, to sync it's up. Like much slow, it's much slower because, like, okay, I... Let me, let me finish my thought. How was that? Would you have preferred to have read that? Evan, I need you to calm down a minute while I try and answer some of these questions. Frankly, you're a little bit out of sync with me right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, my goodness, man. Jeez Louise. And now I, I feel the, the need to talk for a, a good bit because I'm seeing that there's a big gap on yours. You're not going to say anything for a minute, Evan. What was I saying here originally? Maybe that I love you, Evan. You're one of my best friends, if not my best friend. Yeah, and we legitimately... Mm? Okay, here's the thing. We could do it without all of you fine uh, people, but it would be more difficult. It would... You know, for a moment there, listeners, I I convinced myself that Evan was going to tell me that he loved me. Like, talking to a recording of Evan... Okay, see, don't say that, because I think... <laughs> here's the thing. You've you've roasted a lot of our patrons. Oh, no, I guess I was roasting our patrons. Sorry, Evan, I shouldn't do that. At some points, you've, you've burned bridges that are <laughs> in the middle of construction. So please don't tell our patrons that if they stop donating, uh, we'll stop the podcast. Because I think it might be a tempting proposition Ooh, for some I forgot stuff. that I did that. I forgot that I teased that if our patrons would stop donating... I would stop the podcast. Patrons will never stop the podcast. You can't stop donating to make us stop the podcast. And uh, and now there's a huge gap of silence where I must have said just a whole load of stuff. And then Evan has one brief response. I think I'm just going to fill in a couple of things here myself, then let Evan have the final word on the podcast. Uh, again, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. This was a thrilling episode to do. I'm uh, so proud to get to release it as all of our episodes. Evan, I love you dearly. I love you immensely. You're, again, uh, my among my best friends, if not my best friend. And, and you know what? I'm going to go on a limb here and say, Evan loves me too. He loves me just every bit as much as I love him. Evan, uh, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. 
everything he said is true. Thank you, buddy. Thank you.